on this episode of AV Week, sustainability and innovation in the AV industry. Is your work ready for remote or hybrid? And taking a look at security and maintenance, all that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. This is AV Week, episode 622, recorded Friday, July 21st, 2023. Two docs, no waiting. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, first and foremost, Dr. Adeline Tatum from USC. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you, Tim, for having me on another episode of AV Week. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, a young man I, I met a number of years ago who happens to be in my backyard, Adrian Boyd, who is now with D10. Welcome, sir. Yeah, thank you for having me back. Awesome. And a, a another young man that I got to meet this week who I found out is also a doctor. So we have two doctors on this show. We have no excuses. Dr. Mark Pescatori from SCN. Welcome, sir. Thank you kindly. Happy to be here. Good to see you. I, I mentioned the fact that I got to see Mark. Uh, I got to hang out in his home state of Florida with the fine folks at Just Add Power uh, in the Tampa area. Uh, Mark and I got to see a lot of really cool AV over IP. Um, and then we stuffed ourselves at, at a really old restaurant that was kind of cool. So, yeah, that was awesome. He and I will both write separate pieces on that here in the, ne in the next couple of weeks. So, yeah, it's good to see you in person, sir. Um, uh, first story actually comes to us from SCN. Um, taking a look at, at Snap One and what they've, they've kind of here, here recently re uh, released, they've introduced a new remote access feature aimed at bolstering user privacy and security. Uh, Snap One unveiled this feature to address growing concerns around data protection and unauthorized access to connected devices. The remote access enhancement ensures that users can securely control and monitor their smart home uh, systems from anywhere while implementing robust encryption and authenticity protocols. By pri prioritizing user privacy and security, SnapOne sets a new standard for remote access solutions. Mark, I am going to start with you since this is y'all's article. When we look at things like that, and I know the article is about home security and, and home and residential, which, which you know, CDS is coming down the pipeline here. However, it led me down another road of just remote access and remote remote management in, in general, right? It, it, nearly every integrator under the sun, they're leveraging somebody's software, somebody's tools to get inside folks' networks to, re, to provide remote maintenance, remote support, remote troubleshooting, right? To, to, to eliminate truck rolls. How do we get end users? How do we get the folks that make these decisions that are living with these systems every day how do we get them to sign off on that remote access? You know, it's funny because I, I swear this, this emphasis on, on keeping stuff private all comes from everybody seeing all these ring videos online, mm. on yeah. YouTube. And, and as silly as that sounds, people start going, wait a minute, who has access to my ring? Who has access to my security feed? And it's important, especially like you said, for the integrators, they don't want to keep... Uh, you know, we can talk about sustainability, and that's important. But quite frankly, from a time standpoint, too, they don't want to keep rolling the trucks out every time there's an issue. They just they just don't. Uh, I don't think it's that difficult to get people to sign off on this because they go, we don't want people to have access to our security feeds or anything else for that matter. 
Uh, and we certainly don't want to have to have more people keep coming into our business to to mess with our feeds. So you think it's more to keep the actual physical location more secure so they're letting folks in to, to remotely to, to kind of prevent that. I mean, that's, that's certainly part of it. But the other yeah. thing is, who wants everyone to have access to their security feeds? Nobody. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're a top government agency or you're, you know, the guy at the local gas and They don't want people to have access to their their information, their data. And it's not just video. Yeah, absolutely. Adeline, same kind of question. Uh, schools and universities have a different set of, of concerns similar to hospitals and medical facilities, there is a version of the HIPAA laws that, uh, in regards to student uh, access and student information. How does the the higher education system and the higher education market look at remote access and, and some of the concerns there? So for the higher education se sector, how it works is that we definitely have a lot of um, policies around HIPAA. Um, you have to make sure you're certified. You can't really utilize or have access to students' information unless you are authorized. And I know normally it's our customer service team that are the ones or the um, or our um, SIS team, which is student system information system team, that have access, complete access to this data or even like our financial aid. Um, departments. So they definitely have to get certain authority before they're able to access students' information and you have to sign off that you're going to keep things confidential. Um, however, for the customer side of it, I have had experience where we've had faculty stating that I don't want anyone to remote into my computer. Um, can't they come and fix it here so I can see what they're doing? So that's just from the faculty side, I have had that experience. So it's very high level, and I know that USC try their utmost best to ensure everyone's privacy and safety around those policies. Yeah. Adrian, you've been been around the, the AV industry a couple different times uh, as, a, as an integrator, as a designer, now working for a manufacturer. Take it from any angle you want here and, and talk for a second about you know the, the emphasis today on AV network security and, and what you know the different disciplines with that make up this industry can do to address those concerns. Well, a lot of this is, stems back to when we first started sticking network ports on AV devices. And for a long time, it was looked at as a convenience factor for just basic connectivity. And now we've kind of gotten to the point where we've had an evolutionary stage with AV technology, um, where not only are we trying to maximize the data, you know, as a manufacturer or as a integrator or as the customer, like how to best use it, right? So now I've got AV technology, I've got devices sitting on a net on a corporate network, right? And they talk. You want to encapsulate that data and say, hey, is the room in use? Am I getting value? for my, that CapEx and that OpEx spend that I've just done, right? X number of rooms. So all those online devices are top, talking and you're capturing them. When we look at that security side is, well, how many holes have I poked into my network? And how are these talking out, right? So uh, when we get back into that integrator realm, they're, they're looking at it as, well, you know, we can remote into it, right? And we can fix the problems before they start, right? 
or yeah, I don't have to roll the truck where it's a very simple fix. Oh, that, you know, this input's incorrectly configured or there was a power cycle and I can fix that remotely. Um, you know, the corporate side, um, you know, the IT teams, they, you know, they want to have this device management. They don't want to have to send, you know, somebody, you know, on who's on the sixth floor up to the, you know, the 10th floor, right? Run around the building fixing stuff. Or if they have a massive uh, real estate deployment and they have centralized services, right? They only have a couple IT resources and they're scattered around the world, right? They want to be able to access some of these devices, you know, to do that management. And, but as we poke more holes in a network, they become somewhat less secure. AV gear in the past has become a vector point for malicious actors. You know, um, we, we've seen the articles in the past. There have been some manufacturers that, well, whoops, we forgot to turn something off and, and somebody found it and it became a possible vector, right? For intrusion, for an issue. And every manufacturer has had some sort of issue with that. The other thing when we start looking at that is a lot of these uh, of our AV system infrastructure, we cobble together a lot of different things, right? So you have this hardware component that's got a network port, but then you've got a software component, right? You may be a manufacturer that we make, you know, uh, for instance, with D10, we make a hardware platform that runs someone else's software, Zoom or Teams, uh, Microsoft yeah. Teams. So those two products have their own level of communication that an IT team needs to poke the holes in the network so that that software can talk. Then you got the hardware where we need to have as a manufacturer, you know, we have convenience services. Um, we, you know, there's firmware to keep things updated, to keep those things secured. We have to be able to, you know, for you as the end user, the customer, those holes have to be open in that firewall so you can get access to those security patches, those things we find. Or if you say, hey, we notice that there's something and, you know, they do as a manufacturer, we would do it. Any other manufacturer, they would do an investigation. Like, oops, we, something's open or that wasn't configured properly. Or this is a, a persistent issue because the software from someone else down the road didn't secure that. And it's constantly evolving. Um, uh, Anything that, that IT related, IT adjacent, you know, that talks on the uh, on the internal or external network has something at the end of the day that can make a network far more secure or less secure. And that management of the data, it comes down to who that actor is. It could be, you know, no nothing bad or something bad, right? And you never know until it happens. And that's 100%. That's 100%. And, and if you've listened to AV Week for any amount of time, you've heard me repeat this statement from Teresa Payton, and I will keep saying it until I retire and probably after that. Uh, but I saw a presentation with her uh, where she said it's not a question of if, but when somebody tries to attack your network. Uh, and and she, she, look her up. She's, uh, she was the first CTO, I think, or the C, first CIO of the White House back in the early 2000s. Smart, smart, smart person. Well, see, Tim, that's that's kind of what I liked about the Snap One solution. Yeah, is uh, according to the stories, they 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 call it a customer handoff, but basically it's okay. Yep. You've installed my system, get out, but I can open the door for you when I want you, and then I slam it right back down again. Yep, that's pretty good, right, Adrian? Yeah, I mean that's what a lot of manufacturers are doing now. When whenever they have uh, a mass, you know, or a SaaS based 
uh, tool for their product, right? You have access for the customer, and generally they're either a freemium-based product or they're subscription-based, right? Customer has access. Customer can do a bunch of things in the confines of how that tool is built. And then you have this extra layer of, I need more help, and I'm going to create that window for your engineering team or your, you know, um, R&D team or whatever that designated um, individual or individuals will get access. And that's the, that's like the permission based, you know, I'm going to give you a window X time to X time. I want you to log in, fix the problem. When that window closes, everything should be secured. Most manufacturers in, in the technology industry are starting to work on that, work in that, that, that approach. You provide us a window, you provide us the hole, we do what is necessary, and then we're out. And, and we're probably going to see a lot more um, devices work in that you know, manner. There's going to be an online tool or some sort of component, whether that be local to the device or remotely. And then the end user is going to have to say, I'm going to let you, you know, Monday between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. Here's your window to fix whatever the problem is. If you can't fix it, I'm not going to give you another one until we figure out, you know, what the issue is. Yeah, that, that, I, to Mark's point, I, I like that whole closing the window, closing the door after a certain amount of time because that does lock everything down. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, next story comes to us uh, from actually uh, Digital Signage Summit happens over in Europe every single summer, every single July. Interesting conversation, and I'm just going to read it from here. Uh, Tobias Lang, who's the head of, of Lang Group, says to quote unquote expect a merging of LED and LCD display technologies uh, in an innovative uh, creation promises to quote unquote revolutionize the industry by combining the strengths of both technologies, the new display could deliver an unparalleled visual experience with enhanced image quality, quality, energy efficiency, and versatility. That's both of those parts is kind of where I want to go. Again, Lang was on a panel uh, on at, uh, at, at DSS uh, Europe earlier this month. Uh, Adeline, I'm going to start with you on this. One of that part of that aspect, and actually goes back to something that Mark and I were were a part of this week at Just Said Power. And that is the sustainability factor, right? Whether it's ESG or it's simply good old school green AV, how big of a part it will energy consumption, will the sustainability factor, will, you know, uh, making these, these pieces that we put into classrooms and boardrooms last longer, how big of a factor will that figure into both the adoption as well as the deployment of some of these innovations? It's huge. I know um, USC, we were actually doing a sustainable, the president has a campaign going um, on sustainability. And if I'm not mistaken, we have a program on sustainability now at USC as well. But let me confirm that in our next talk. Um, it's huge. As a part of the SAVE certified group, USC, mm -hmm. we're the first yep. to be certified. Um, energy and power, just using it recklessly, definitely is damaging our earth. And if we're going towards sustainability and trying to secure what we have left of our planet, we definitely need to be more considerate of things such as turning off our computers at night, um, Turning off the signage 
when people are not around. So it's all about conserving energy. If you're not charging your phone, unplug your your phone. So for me, there are a lot of little things that we can do individually to help this adaptability that we're moving towards or would like to move towards, but it always take someone to share and bring about that awareness because you may know it, but unconsciously not thinking about that because you're going about your regular day. So I, from an educational point of view, just educating our teams or friend or family and the word will get around, as we would say in my culture, would definitely be a way of advocating for us to move towards adaptability of sustainability in the power industry and, you know, saving energy. Yeah. Adrian, you work for a manufacturer, so I'm not going to I'm not going to poke holes at you or poke fun of you. But but uh, and, and not to saying that D10, you know, plans obsolescence. Right. You guys have a number of really good products that last a long time. But you guys, you make displays, right? A lot of them are, are touchscreen displays. Yep. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, they they leverage somebody else's software, meaning Zoom and, and Teams. So these are communication devices. When you guys look at going to market and you start talking with not just integrators, but also the, the end users, the folks that are putting these in, how big of an issue is the sustainability, is the energy consumption uh, from, from these clients? We certainly see it a lot when in EMEA, right? Energy... Um, saving sustainability is very big um, here in North America. It's it's still, you know, it's a conversation. I think it depends on the region. I think it also depends on the type of business they're in. Um, you know, we certainly try to ensure that our devices are energy efficient as possible. And there's lots of ways you can tackle that. Um, what you often run to, into, especially in AV, is some devices I can shut off. Right, I can turn them off and it has negligible impact on the functionality of the room. There are other devices that they need to be on almost 24 seven, but they live in a, you know, a hibernation state or a low power mode because there's a, there's a level of communication that they need to have in order to maintain that system. So control systems and DSPs, you really don't want to shut them off because well, if I shut the control system off, when someone walks in the room, they hit the button to turn it on while well, the room doesn't function, then that's a service ticket call, right? Or the DSP, it may take a few minutes um, to cycle back on and get configured and ready to go because there's a level of um, uh, I want something instant. If I press the button, I need it to happen, right? We're, we're very spoiled within that manner in technology, right? Um, and then you have things like, you know, products we make in other manufacturers are very similar. These all-in-one conference devices where they need to live in sort of this, this sleep mode because they require a level of network-based communication in order to sync calendars and receive calls and wake up at certain times. And there's lots of things that, you know, we and other manufacturers in the software kind of try to put in, you know, motion sensing, detecting, you know, scheduling uh, calendaring and then you know you have like you know device cycles and where you can say hey i want the device on between x time and x time but i'll put digital signage on or i'll tell it when it's in idle mode to go to sleep so that's kind of how a lot of manufacturers you know tackling it right and i think we're going to find when we look at our products they're going to get more efficient we've certainly seen in probably the last 15 years power supplies becoming far more efficient they don't generate as much as heat as they used to. They, um, 
work with power, they use less power and deliver more value in terms of what they accomplish. Um, what, you know, I found interesting with the article, you know, when they're talking about this merging of LC LED, you know, you have these two desperate technologies in terms of how they present each other, but LCD, you know, uses LED backlights. You know, we did that switch, you know, you know, instead of going from sort of fluorescent based, you know, uh, two of some sort. So with that merging is, you know, I'm going to, we should see a little bit more and it's going to make those products far more efficient. And we're going to start seeing, you know, it's going to make larger display sizes more efficient because yeah. that's always been the struggle. The bigger I make my display, the more power is required for the light for anything to happen. If you've ever seen a big LED video wall, they're very warm. <laughs> it's a nice way very to put warm. it. They're very warm, right? You have multiple power supplies running those, you know, those panels and trying to shrink those down and make them more efficient is going to be a value to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, same kind of question is, is when you're looking at, at stories like this and, and technologies like this, but you're also talking with integrators as you know, and, and, and users as well, how big of a deal is sustainability? How big of a deal is ESG today uh, for, for those customers? I'd like to say it's going to get bigger. I mean, I, I'm the guy who, uh, on, on the Infocom show floor, as soon as I see a big display, the first thing I do is I put my hand on it because I want to see how hot it is. Uh, I'm just a jerk that way. <laughs> and, 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 and I like to report back to, oh, you know, oh, that's not, that's not hot. That's very nice because a lot, of these, a lot of these displays, they generate a lot of heat, but at least they draw a lot of power. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's, it's the, the worst of both worlds. I think sustainability is getting to be more and more important. Uh, I would like it to see it become even more important. I, I have to give credit where credit is due. There were a lot of companies on the Infocom show floor last month who were pushing sustainability, and it wasn't just checking a box. They were making a sincere effort, and I will call out one company in particular, and that is uh, PPDS. Philips has the new, and it was actually mentioned in the in the uh, the article. Yeah. They have their new e-paper, and it's really kind of amazing because you don't have to plug it in. Ever. Oh, you can you can put some batteries in there and then put USB to change the change the content, but you never have to plug it in. And and the more the more ambient light you have, the brighter it gets. So it works really, really well. The problem with e-paper, of course, is that it's e-paper, not e-video. Yeah. So we're not there yet. But I would have to say the, the next five to ten years are going to be very, very interesting in the display department. All right. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I am, I, I've, I've watched e-ink in, in e-paper for a long time. Uh, if you have a Kindle, that's what that is, right? Um, it'll be interesting to see if, if somebody can come up with a, a way to do video. Somebody has to, right? Give it five years. Give it five years. All right. Last story. Uh, Crestron has released a white paper uh, on readiness uh, and a readiness secure scoring tool uh, aimed at assessing businesses in evaluating their modern work approach. Crestron is a, is a sponsor of Baby Nation. Um, this resource provides organizations with insights into how well their current work strategies align with demands of today's dynamic and evolving work landscape. Now, re really quickly, there's a couple things that, that have come down the pipeline here. One of them is, my, my day job is, is I run marketing for CTI. One of the smart guys we have here, his name's Eric Snyder. He does presentations for everybody under the sun including PSNI. PSNI is, we're a member of PSNI. And some of the reports that he's grabbed over the last two years have been fascinating. So a year and a half ago, 
pulled a report from foresters and they said that at that time, roughly 5% of companies that they were doing a survey on were going to make, they were going to make everybody come back to work, right? It was, it was all in person, but 15% was, they weren't sure yet. And then the other side was like, um, five, 10% was full remote. And then you've got this middle ground of hybridness. And he just pulled a report because he's doing a presentation next week for PSNI. Zero is un are unsure, which I find still fascinating. Um, the fully remote grow grew a little bit and the fully in-person grew a little bit. But what really grew was that middle ground, that hybrid. I don't care how you want to put it. It is a hybrid node. I mean, us here at, at, at Aviation and CTI, Mitchell's 100% remote, right? I'm I'm technically hybrid. A couple days a week, I work from home. Adrian, you're correct me if I'm wrong. A hundred percent remote, right? Hundred percent remote. Um, yep. I know USC. You guys have bits and pieces. Of it. Depending on where you work, will de determine kind of you know how how you guys uh, are doing are, are are working. But this whole work from anywhere thing, which I did I didn't make it up, but I freaking love it. Right? You're not going to call it work from home. It's work from anywhere. I mentioned the fact already. Mark and I were at, at in in the Tampa area. Mark doesn't live in Tampa. I don't live in Tampa. I will guarantee you, <laughs> Miss Capacitori was doing work right when when we were in Tampa. I a hundred percent don't care if my boss is listening to this or not. I a hundred percent was doing work while I was in Tampa. So Adrian, I'm going to ask you just and, and all three of you guys kind of the same questions here. H how do you get your company there? How do you get your company in line? with not just today's um, environment, right? And this is not a generational thing because I know of as many boomer, I know as many boomers that are loving hybrid work as much as I do Zers, right? And I know Zers who prefer to be in the office because they like the social aspect. So this is really is not a generational thing. It's a how you, how you get things done thing. So Adrian, how do you get your company there to make sure that everybody that works in, in your company can be successful in the way that they work well and the way we're, they work best. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack with this. We all know why we don't need to rehash why we're at where we are now. It's COVID. There we go. <laughs> I, I, when we look at, you know, we talk about this hybrid work or this remote work, um, the hybrid office. The hybrid office kind of always existed in, in corporate America. Um, that's what hoteling was. It's just now it is more spaces, right? When you had a hotel, hoteling space in a corporate office, you might have had only two or three spaces and you booked them out. And that was usually for C-level executives or traveling engineers. You know, it was a component of the office. Now, when we talk hybrid, it is because we've seen this shift, right? We figured out that, you know, we don't have to have a large workforce with a manager in a building to prove that they're doing work, right? And not all businesses can do this, right? There are certain verticals that this works very well in, you know, engineering, you know, IT workflows, financial institutions, financial services, you know, th there's a lot of different businesses that this works really, really well in. And then there's other businesses that it's, it doesn't work, right? Um, you know, and that's, you know, hybrid works in some situations, those, you know, uh, education, you know, in-person education, 
it probably you get more value, you know, at times instructor student versus online, but you could also make the that same argument, right? You know, if I'm doing online education, I can, you know, meet my needs as my schedule. And that's that's when we everyone looks at it now. It's my schedule, right? That work-life balance has somewhat changed for a lot of people, right? I can pick, make, you know, as long as I, you know, I can make my day as I need it to put my meetings in, do my personal aspects. And at the end of the day, it's everything is done and everything's still uh, smooth going along smoothly. Right. Um, for companies to really embrace this, you know, there's a couple things you got to look at. One is you got to, you know, employees need to have the proper tools, right? You can't rely on the webcam uh, built into the laptop. Uh, you know, the microphones built into a laptop, you know, you may need to have a dedicated appliance at someone's, you know, in their personal office at home. You know, then you may need a web, you know, a separate PTZ web camera or a fairly good quality web camera, plus a headset and microphone. You, you need those external peripherals as well, but you also need a space, yeah. right? And I think that's one of the struggles when you start seeing the differences between people who want to go back to the office and those who would rather work from home full-time, part-time is the space, right? So, you know, you, all of us who are parents, they have kids, you know, you've got the kids, you may, you'll see earlier on, I had one of mine walk into the room, you know, I need something. Well, no, I'm busy. Right. So we've all have those interruptions of, of, of kiddos coming into meetings. Um, I think that the one of the most famous public one was the BBC interview, right? <laughs> kids walk in. So we have those situations, right? But then you have a lot of the, you know, millennial generation, those Gen Z generations, those um, is there, they still live with their parents or they have roommates or they have, you know, their living environment isn't conducive to having a dedicated office space, right? So going back to the office is advantageous for that because one, I had, now I have a, a sit down place where I can do my work and I can, keep in my headspace, the hat isn't bothering me, the dog isn't bothering me, you know, there are all those things. Um, the other thing is infrastructure. Hmm. You need to have good infrastructure and that's, you know, to make this happen. What, is, what do I mean by that is, is you got to have a stable, you know, internet connection. And depending on where you live, world, you know, globally or locally, if that isn't stable, right? It's difficult to perform your work remotely. You know, if my network connection isn't stable and I'm trying to pull network-based resources from the corporate network or, you know, a, a SharePoint site or an online drive and plus do video calls, if none of that is stable, none of that works. So what's stable? Usually the, the office, right? Because that production environment, that production network has to be stable because you're running the business or you're running specific tools on it. So that's always stable. So sometimes that's advantageous to work out of the office, yeah. right? So you got all those factors in. I think one of the most telling things we'll, we're going to start to see is the statistics you're starting to see in terms of vacancies overall um, in that corporate footprint. Um, the vacancies are, are starting to go up. You know, people are realizing I don't need such a footprint anymore because if I'm doing, if I'm doing load balancing with my employees and I'm, you know, everyone's coming in, you know, cycling in three, four days a week or two days a week. Do I really need to have six floors? You know, can I get by off one floor, you know, especially 
when we're looking at a lot of the new technology tools in terms of reserving spaces, telling what you know workstations are open, dedicated appliances where um, employees aren't having to pack a laptop anymore, right? Everything's starting to go cloud-based, thin client-based. Google has started to experiment with that. If you uh, the articles a few weeks, well, probably about two two months back. We talk about the Google as an organization is getting rid of the desktop computer. Yeah. You have a monitor, the keyboard, the mouse, your conferencing solutions, but it's all going back to a thin client-based computer that's either on-site or off-site. And, you know, you reserve your spot, you do what you need to do for head down, and then you go home and you might have a company-supplied laptop to do things for that when you're not in the office. That's what we're going to start seeing more and more. All right. Mark, same kind of question here is, is how do we get our companies um, and, and those folks that that depend on, on you and me for information, how do we get folks ready for the next generation of work? Well, there was something that they mentioned in the in the article from Crestron in, in their in their report. And basically, it all comes down to the reevaluation of corporate culture mm. um, and companies like Just Add Power. I'll tell you what, they have an advantage because their corporate culture is wonderful. What a, it looks very, like a really chill. great place to work. Yeah, very chill. I mean, when you see people who've been there seven years, 10 years, 11 years, and they don't seem to be packing up their bags, that's a good hint. But if you don't mind, I'm going to quote from that uh, from that report where they yeah. say, the growing preference for and adoption of modern work practices can be attributed to one factor above all else, a cultural reappraisal of working life by employees around the world in the aftermath of the pandemic for whom flexible working is no longer seen as a perk but an expectation, end quote. So the translation is people like the freedom of hybrid work and they don't want to give it up. And you've got different companies. They, they mentioned two things I hadn't heard before. One was hardly hybrid and hyper hybrid. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting. There are many companies are now pushing the office, going into the office as an experience. Uh, but if you're going to do that, you better be ready with the technology. You need video enabled meeting rooms that are key and they want, and then you get bonus points if you have different sizes. So it's not all one big conference room. Maybe you have a conference room maybe you got some huddle rooms, things like that. And of course you need to do the push for, for meeting equity and, and instant, easy sharing of resources. That's, this is all the things that, well, we keep my integrators, my readers in business for a long, long time because trying to, trying to make all this happen is important. I, I, but I also find it interesting that 69% of 18 to 34 year olds want to go back to the full-time office. And, and a lot of people say, oh, these, these kids are all computer. They don't want, no. They, I attribute some of it to socialization. Maybe they're trying to build a personal networking. But of course, on the other side of things, it's very possible that people over the age of 40 just don't want to wear pants. <laughs> there is something to that. Yes, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a big fan of shorts in general. So, although if, to reference, you know, Mark, I don't think I saw a pair of pants on, on Wednesday when we went to Just Add Power. I think everybody there, including Ed Qualls, the owner, had shorts on. So, yeah. Right. We all had. We, we yes, were all we all up. had. Mark and I had pants. Just a bit. Mark and I had pants. I think Siaka also had pants. All right. Adeline. Yeah, you had, you um, had the jacket. You, you, were, you were in full uh, full mode there. And I had the mode. collar shirt. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, they were all in shorts, flip-flops. And it's like, flip-flops. oh. Yeah. That okay. Was the other thing. You're taking this whole Tampa Bay thing a lot, a lot more seriously than I Absolutely. thought you Absolutely. 
Um, Adeline, same kind of question to you is how do you get your workplace um, ready for, for the next generation of, of how we work? So here at USC, we already have a flex schedule. It all depends on your department. USC is fully in person. The president made that clear. Our students are required to be in person. It's up to each school to decide if they want to do hybrid or what that policy would look like, right? Um, so when they call and ask, can your system be hybrid? We're like, yes, we have a hybrid setup, but make sure you clarify that with your school. Don't say Elise is telling you you can do hybrid. So that's always my disclaimer as the faculty support because they would want to go back and say, you know, other, otherwise, just saying. Um, in our department, it's hard because we're the customer service, we're the end user. So we normally, what we have done is that, especially during the summer when it's less student here, much less, it's like we're at ghost town, we call it. That's when we would be able to do some remote work. Um, like for right now, in this couple of last month and this month, I've been preparing training res um, resources and um, getting ready for my student workers to return and onboarding, orientation, creating a Trojan Learn course, course for them. So I do get to do a little bit of hybrid, kind of more remote. So it's, I think it's just about flexibility, understanding, being able to work with your team, seeking yeah. out their mental health, their personal needs, but aside from that, reminding them that it needs to be a professional side of everything, you're still working. So um, I think Adrian touched on the work environment and how it should look and appear, but at the same time, offering the technologies that they need um, to ensure that the job that they're about to carry out, if you offer them to work remote, they're able to do it to full capacity because you need to make sure that the environment is at standard. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us, gang. Thank you all so much. Adeline, Dr. Adeline Tatum from USC. Thank you, ma'am. How do people connect with you or USC? You could connect with me at TatumA at USC.edu or at LinkedIn. Adeline Tatum. Adeline Tatum. Mr. Boyd, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people connect with you or D10? Uh, they can visit D10 on the web. That's uh, www.d10.com. Uh, you can see all of our many great products there. Um, if you request a demo, you might see me giving you a demo. Um, we have many methods for you to test our products out. There's one of them right there. Um, it looks like we need, you're doing a little firmware fix. Um, there, as of anything that's computer related, you've got firmware and sometimes they don't like to play nicely with each other. That's, you know, uh, so you can find me on Twitter, um, uh, the AV CAD guy, um, longest hand, you know, the underscore AV underscore CAD underscore guy. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, most of the socials, um, you know, you can hit me up, ask me questions, um, all the fun stuff. Lots of underscores there. Yep. Uh, Dr. Pescatori, uh, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people connect with you or SCN? You can always find uh, SCN content at avnetwork.com or find me on LinkedIn. Right, very good. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, do not follow me on the Twitters, but go by the website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Uh, brand new ed tech coming down the pipeline. I believe that recorded this week. Um, 
also a uh, new uh, XR star and women in AV coming. Uh, if you want to hang out with me, just like Mark did this week, uh, two chances to do that. One is CDIA and uh, CI Expo. I'm headed there Denver, uh, to Denver, September 7th through the 9th. And the very next week, I'm going to UCX uh, USA, uh, September 13th and 14th. So you can check that out on the website as well. All that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That is all the time we have for AV Week. <laughs>